gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe, is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And this week, we're going to do something a little different. We've done this a couple times in the history of the podcast, and that is talk about something that's being talked about because um, we think it's important enough, and there's been a lot of discussion, especially on Twitter. I don't think I've seen much on Facebook, but Twitter especially. And is it is about an article that was released by Desiring God. And it's one of those, if you've ever been on the Desiring God websites, um, there's a series where people ask John Piper questions and he answers them. And this one was called, Why Did God Make Me Unattractive? And uh, there are some concerning things in his answer. And like with a lot of things, Rachel and I have talked about some of the things that are out there where some people don't know any better. They read these answers and they think, you know, they think may, maybe this is true. And maybe it's somebody that's struggling with this already for any number of reasons. Like a few years ago, before Rachel was on, we did an episode about the transformed wife's viral article that uh, men prefer debt-free women without tattoos or something like that. So, and I think one reason too to do an episode like this, maybe you have somebody who's struggling with something like this, you know, a friend, they read the Desiring God article and they believe it. And, you know, it's, I think anyone in this situation. But before we kind of start with going over some quotes, I wanted to say a couple, I wanted to read just part of the question that was asked. Pastor John, why did God make some people ugly and unattractive? How can I accept the fact that God, though capable of making me beautiful or at least average looking, chose to create me in an unattractive manner? And this person, it doesn't say whether it's a man or woman, kind of goes on to say, life is more difficult for me because I'm not attractive. And 
And one of the things I wanted to say, just before we even get to some of the responses, because I, one of the problems I had, uh, had many problems, but one of the problems that I had is that he assumes a lot of things in his answer, things that weren't said, like, oh, some people have a deformity or different things like that. And there is something out there called body dysmorphia, where somebody does not have an accurate perception of of how they look. Like they may think that they are horribly unattractive and they are not. Um, and so I think answering a question like this, you you really can't answer specifically to a person without knowing more. So that would be my first first problem. Rachel, why don't, why don't you take it away with some of the things from the article? You know, I think you, you make a really good point. Um, there were a lot of assumptions made. And with as with all real pastoral issues like that, you, they need to be more tailored. There, there's not a lot of one-size-fits-all answers for things that are that personal. Um, so, you know, again, this is one where... I think it would have been better not to make make the the article and certainly not the way it was made but um so some quotes from the article um it says ugliness and disfigurement have their roots in the origin of human sin so now listen carefully because this could be so easily misunderstood the roots are not in a person's particular sin but the origin of human sin in Adam and Eve, which infected the whole human race. In his wisdom, God decreed that there would be physical manifestations of the horrors and outrage of sin against God. This does not mean that everyone's disability or everyone's disease or everyone's disfigurement is because of their own sin. He goes on, uh, he, God, made ugliness, misery, and misery correspond to moral ugliness and misery, even in some of the most godly people on the planet. Every bodily or material burden in the world should point us to the burden of sin. Every ugliness should point to the ugliness of sin and Satan. And ends with Christ is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, especially in our temporary ugliness. Wow. There's just a whole lot to unpack. (laughs) Starting with the conflating disability and this subjective ugliness, which we we don't even know, we talk a little bit about that being subjective, um, almost like, well, God has given you a disability in your ugliness, um, but but also it really seems to imply that if you're ugly, then people should look at you and be reminded of sinfulness, or right. if you have a disability, and people having- should look at you and see sin and Satan. I, I, that's right. Oh, that stu- that part so, stuck out to me so much. It's so horrible, so offensive, so so cruel and unnecessarily cruel. Um, it, yeah, I'm I'm somewhat at a loss, which is I'm not often at a loss for words, but I'm somewhat at a loss for words here, um, just because of like I have thoughts racing through my brain trying to figure out which one is the one I'm going to say first, um, but. To, to just kind of unpack some of what he's saying here. Um, now, of course, he is right that there is suffering in the world. There is um, uh, disease and death and um, uh, injury and 
violence and there are all sorts of things that go into the world that we live in that is the result of the fall that's the result of sin in our lives um that you know this is like the and he points to this verse too but from when when jesus heals the man who was born blind in john 9 and his disciples asked you know this guy who's who's blind is it from his sin or is it because his parents sinned you know, and, and Jesus says, no, this is not sin. It's not his sin or his parents. His blindness is so that the works of God would be displayed in him. He's going to be healed by Christ. And that is, you know, that demonstration of Christ's power and glory and who he is as the Messiah. All of that is why this man was born blind, right? Now, the unfortunate part of the way the article takes and applies that passage is not that you didn't look at that verse and say, instead of asking yourself, is it because of my sin or because of the sin of the world or because sin in general that I'm ugly or someone's ugly or that someone's disfigured or disabled or all the things that he conflates together in this horrible way. Um, it, it, instead of going there, you should look at that and say, how should we see people? How should we view people? And instead of seeing people through sin, we should see people through grace and and see people through the way God sees us. And we're going to get to that a little more, but it just, it starts out with the wrong, the wrong set of, of presumptions, the wrong set of answers and the wrong applications. And I think it's important to note that um, a lot of beauty attractiveness can be subjective. It can be cultural. Um, there's different standards of beauty and, and different cultures, um, what may be outwardly beautiful to one person, um, maybe, you know, someone else may not be attracted to in the same way. I recently heard um, a couple of gentlemen talking about a certain woman, and they said she's one of the most beautiful women. Now, the woman that they were talking about you wouldn't meet her and say, wow, she's one of the most beautiful women, but she is such a beautiful person inside. And she is on the outside too, maybe not our cultural expectations of it. But I, I thought that was interesting. They they think she's so beautiful because who she is on the inside really just shines in, in who she is. So, so there's so many things to talk about when we're talking about beautiful, ugly, attractive, not attractive. You know, this this reminds me of, you know, the discussions about, you know, is it ever okay to lie? And, you know, what if someone says, you know, isn't, you know, see this newborn baby, isn't he beautiful? And you're like, well, no, he looks kind of like a wrinkled old man, like all newborn babies do, right? Um, you know, how do you, how do you say, what do you say, right? And again, I feel like a lot of the discussions miss the point, right? It's, it's not about whether or not we find we find someone physically attractive or we find the beauty in that person. We should always be able to see the beauty in a newborn baby or the beauty in a person simply because they're another human being. We should be able to see beauty there. Um, yeah, beauty in all of God's creation. And right. I'm sorry for my dog barking. <laughs> Mine too, if you hear him. <laughs> so we just invite the dogs to bark every podcast. <laughs> They are also part of the beauty of God's creation, <laughs> including their barks. Yes. Um, so, you know, when you talk about the, the opinions on beauty changing, it, it it really is extremely subjective and cultural. And 
culturally derived. Like it, it, it's going to change over time. It's going to change from culture to culture. What one culture prizes is not what another does. And like you see things, for example, um, some cultures will, people will try to change their appearance in order to match the cultural standards of another culture, right? So you have um, men and women who are born uh, who are from Asian countries who try to change the appearance of their eyes. So they look more Western. Right. And, you know, I, I see the, the, the sadness in that, that they, you can't be pleased with what you look like because you want to look like somebody else. Right. That's, or someone else has told you that this is not attractive, but that is attractive. And I think that's something for all of us. I mean, there's on the one hand, we should be careful and not cultivating jealousy and envy and and covetousness in our own hearts. But we should also not be dependent on other people's standards for what we, for what we see and how we value things and value people and value ourselves. You know, our, our standard is, is God. Our standard is Christ. And um, he sees us and he sees his love for us. And he sees um, that we are precious and special much like, you know, we look at our children, those of us who have children, or we have a loved one, loved ones that we have that are special to us and they're beautiful to us, whether or not they're physically attractive to anyone else, they're beautiful to us because they're our loved ones, right? Um, before we got on, Colleen, you and I were talking, we we're talking about how you, know, you have maybe someone that you meet and at first you think they are really attractive, but then you get to know them. And getting to know them, you find out they're really mean and they're, you know, they're, they're unkind and they're horrible to other people and their looks and their appearance to you becomes affected by how, how they act. And so you, they, you don't find them as attractive anymore, right? Or the opposite where you meet someone and as you get to know them, they become better and better looking to you because they are so dear to you, right? That their face is so special because that's your, your friend, you know, the one that you love. And it's just, again, the subjective nature of physical appearance and the fleeting nature of physical beauty. Uh, we just need to be very careful how we talk about it. Well, think, think about couple. my grandparents were married almost 70 years when my grandma died. And my husband has said to me, wow, you get more beautiful all the time. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you're crazy. I got wrinkles. I got gray hairs. It's not that I'm physically more beautiful, but I am to him. Mm -hmm. And the way that my grandparents in their nineties with lots of wrinkles and their bodies slowing down and, and whatnot saw each other as even more beautiful mm -hmm. um, because of their love and because they knew that person intimately and, and they're beautiful. One, one of the things I think it's important to focus on is that we are made in the image of God. Yes. I think that's really the answer um, to a lot of this is remembering that um, instead of why did God make me ugly, remembering I God made me in his image. How amazing is that? Like, if you really reflect on that, that's an amazing, beautiful thing to be yes. made in God's image, the creator of the universe. You know, I was thinking about, you know, what we can see in... The, the Bible has a lot to say about, about beauty and about appearance, um, about both 
external and internal beauty. Um, I was looking at verses on um, on beauty and appearance, and I noticed there are a lot of Old Testament verses about people's appearance. Right? You see, Rachel was beautiful, but not Leah. Um, depending on how you read that verse, um, David is supposed to be very attractive. Um, uh, I think even Hebrews when it talks about Moses talks about him being a beautiful child, right? Um, so there are a number of passages, and we talk about Abigail being beautiful, Absalom was attractive. Like, there's a lot of that in the Old Testament. There's not as much in the New Testament in talking about someone's physical appearance um, and praising physical appearance, which have an interesting change in, in descriptions. Um, but there are also a lot of cautions about physical appearance in in the scriptures. Like, for example, from Proverbs 31, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Or as a ring of gold and a swine snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion from Proverbs 11. Um, you know, both of which are warning that it's not just how someone looks that matters. Um, also, you have um, in the Old Testament prophets, when one of the, the common themes is describing um, Israel or Judah as, um, as a, a woman who is either um, a bride or an unfaithful woman or an unfaithful wife, depending on the passage. But uh, in Jeremiah, in one of those passages, it says, in vain you make yourself beautiful, your lovers despise you, they seek your life. Or in Ezekiel, but you trust in your beauty and play the harlot because of your fame. And so, you know, beauty is 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 there, but it's not everything. The physical appearance is not the main thing about us, um, and certainly not something that we should value um, above and beyond other aspects of a person. And uh, there's also a caution in Matthew when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So again, you get that, that contrast between what's, what, appear, what appearance says versus what is on the inside. Yeah, so there does seem to be some sort of distinction between beautiful on the outside, but um, also beauty on the inside or not um, having beauty on the inside that matches up, and and even the the passage that um, uh, even the Proverbs eleven twenty two as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who who lacks discretion. So she isn't actually beautiful. That's kind of right. what I get from that. Right. So some of our beauty is who we are on the inside, and that should be our primary focus. Um, so that you know, you look at then internal beauty, and you have um, in First Samuel, you have the passage when um, the Lord is talking to Samuel to see uh, to you know, anoint the next king, and Samuel is looking at the these David's brothers, and maybe this one, maybe that one. And, you know, God says to him, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God does not see as man sees, since man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's that's a good reminder to be concerned with the things of the Lord. Mm-hmm. The, one of the verses I love 
in Romans about, um, you talk about internal beauty or the beauty from the Lord. It says that um, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So, the the those who spread the gospel, the the preaching of the word, the the sharing of the gospel message, that is a beautiful thing because it's bringing good news to people. Um, and Isaiah 62, it describes um, you know, God's people. It says, you will be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Um, our, our beauty is, is, again, like we said, that we are made in God's image. What is beautiful about us is that, that we are made in God's image, that he makes us beautiful by, by our association with him, right? By his, by, our, by his loving us, um, we are beautiful. Um, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary from Psalm 96. And I like that too because the splendor and majesty and strength and beauty here uh, are not just the physical appearance of the temple or the sanctuary, but the being in the presence of the Lord. Uh, like you see in Psalm 27, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Um, and then, of course, the the warning in First Peter 3, uh, where he's, he's speaking to women, but it applies to any believer. Uh, our adornment must not be merely external, like braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. So, um, you know, through all these verses, you can see that while physical beauty has its place and it's certainly part of how the world is around us, um, what matters is the internal beauty that we have by being uh, as believers, by uh, the work of the Spirit, by growing in righteousness and holiness and love for each other, that that is the beauty that we should be cultivating and be concerned with. I think in in our culture in this time, there is so much focus on external beauty. You go to the grocery store and there's all these magazines with beautiful women on the front and um, billboards, you know, all sorts of things, movie stars. Um, and I think it's all these verses really helpful to remember. And I think maybe I'll put all these verses in the episode notes. If somebody's struggling with this, I think it would be good to go through them. But one of the things from the new Testament is what it says about Jesus for he grew up before him, like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately former majesty that we should look upon him nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Mm. So, Jesus wasn't a particularly um, a, attractive person. You didn't, you, you know, you think about like sometimes like a TV preacher who's very polished and maybe very attractive. And there's, there's something to people being attracted to that. But this, this was saying Jesus, there wasn't anything special in his appearance that people were attracted to him. Mm-hmm. And yet he was Jesus. He was beautiful. Well, and, and not just, you know, he's Jesus, he's beautiful, which he is, right? You know, Jesus is, you know, more than just a man. You know, he is um, he is the perfect man, 
right? He is the one that we are being remade to be like him or renewed to look like him. And so, you know, when the, the emphasis that we get in that Isaiah passage is that Jesus, it's not that everyone looked at him and were like, wow, he's, he's a great looking guy and he's tall and he's, you know, and he's, you know, impressive. And so people followed him. He, he wasn't that kind of leader and he's not that kind of, um, he doesn't have that kind of uh, pull over people, but people were attracted to him and came to follow him because of who he is, who is the love that he has for them, the love that he shows for us, his, um, his divinity, you know, the, who he is for us. And I, I just think that it's really, it's really worth focusing on when we think about what God prizes and it's not what the world does. And I think it's important to think on those things when we're, when we're concerned about appearance. I feel like the article, going back to the article for a second, mm-hmm. where it kind of, it talks about um, being ugly, um, having a disability or having some sort of deformity. Mm-hmm. And as all of these things being imperfect, and when you think about this passage about Christ, Christ was perfect. And so it almost is like, yeah, you're, you're not attractive, you know, subjective right there. But, um, but it's because this world isn't perfect. But if being a certain standard of attractiveness was part of being perfect, then it wouldn't say this about Jesus. Am I making sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Uh, like it's a flaw if somebody right. isn't a certain standard, and it's not, and we know that because Christ, because of Christ, right, right. It, we, we, when people looked at Christ and didn't find him attractive, they weren't supposed to look at him and see, oh, well, that's sin and Satan, right? You know? Exactly. <laughs> um, you know that's, you know, and that's where you know you talked about that we should consider how we are made in, in the image of God, right? And since from Genesis one, we were made created in God's image. Um, and that's how we should see ourselves and how we should see others. And I think the important thing to remember about the sin and the fall, while yes, it does affect our bodies, right? So that we are subject to sin and death, but you know, our mind, our thoughts, our appetites, our attractions are also affected by sin. So we tend to treat others sinfully uh, we treat them like objects that we're using for our own use or enjoyment, and we don't appreciate others like we should, and we devalue our ourselves, right? And so, if we're looking at someone, we're looking at ourselves, and oh, all we see is the ugliness. That is, that is, <laughs> in a way that's completely different from the way that Piper's article is talking about. It is the result of sin because we are not valuing things as we should. Um, and again, that's not, you know, if you're having struggling with your self-image, then you're being sinful. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if we're treating others and saying, oh, that person's ugly and that person I don't like because they, you know, they don't meet this standard, that's treating someone in a way that's sinfully. And when we look at ourselves and we see only the ugliness and the only parts of ourselves, it's, it's that, that brokenness that we have that we can't even see ourselves the way God sees ourselves because of how, um, 
how twisted our thoughts and our our views are. Um, and again, this is not. I'm not saying that it's a shame for us. Like, how dare you think of yourself that way? It's a sadness that we can't see ourselves, that we can't see in others the beauty that God sees in us. Yeah, that's that's true. When we read the passage earlier, that that God looks at the heart. Mm-hmm. That's that's what He judges. Um, we shouldn't make, be making judgments upon people based on their outward appearance. And we should go easier on ourselves, too. That, yes, that this is true. Important. We should be easier on ourselves. I wish I'd learned that as a teenager. Uh-huh. Don't we all, right? Yes, <laughs> being a teenage girl is hard. You know, and we always see ourselves in the worst light, right? We, we look at ourselves and we see everything we don't like about ourselves. And, you know, when you look at, again, talking about people that you love and care for around you, you don't see all of those faults. You see what what you do love about them or you see them through the love that you have for them and you know i think you know for myself and my own struggles with self-image one of the things that has been the most helpful for me is trying to see myself you talked about colleen the way um you know brent tells you that you're more beautiful to him now right as you as he's known you longer right and being able to see myself the way my husband sees me and see, knowing that he finds me attractive and he loves me. And, you know, that instead of looking at myself and seeing all the things I don't like about myself and look at it and say, okay, well, it's okay. If I don't like everything about myself, um, I, I'm thankful that my husband loves me. And I know not everybody has that. And so that's not, I'm not saying that's the only answer for this, but you know, when you have people who care for you, if you can remember to see yourself the way they see you, um, it, it can help you reorient the way you're thinking about yourself. Oh, I absolutely agree so much, Rachel. That has been in my own life. Something that really has helped me is knowing that my husband is attracted to me and thinks I'm beautiful. And I I try to remember that over you know, all my own criticisms and of myself and not focus on imperfections and, and be thankful. I'm, I'm thankful I have a husband who loves me. You know, as we're talking about the effect of sin and the fall, uh, the important thing to remember too is that um, because of the work of the Spirit in our hearts, we are being sanctified. As mentioned earlier, we're being renewed in Christ's image. And, you know, this is not an outward change necessarily that other people see in us at this point. This is inward change. Uh, We're being knit together as the body of Christ. And we begin to see each other then as valuable because we are all made in the image of God. Um, And we can learn to care for each other and love each other. Um, And we can see each other and see ourselves the way Christ sees us. And, you know, that's, and that's where, you know, uh, Todd talks about, our pastor talks about this, um, has several times um, in various sermons, but talking about how 
you know, when you look around the people in the church, the people around you in your church that are your brothers and sisters, and you think, yeah, these are not people that you would necessarily have chosen for yourself or, you know, picked to be, you know, your brothers and sisters. But because of the work of the Spirit and because of God's love for us, we learn to love people around us. And we know that's not from ourselves, that we wouldn't have picked and choose to love these people particularly. And But we we see the growth in ourselves and in others as we learn to love people who, as we all know, we're not particularly lovable all the time. And it's, it's such a work of the Spirit to be able to see others uh, as beautiful because of the work of God in us. Yeah, we talked about the passage. I don't have it pulled up, but I talked about it a few weeks ago, the passage from First Peter that talks about loving one another fervently. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, talking about us as as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, I've thought on this, I've meditated upon this when I've studied First Peter, probably too much, but I, I've really thought in some translations say, love one another deeply. But I've really thought, what who do I love deeply? Who do I love fervently? My mm-hmm. kids, my husband, mm-hmm. you know. Um, mm-hmm. but thinking about what that means in in the body of Christ. And some sometimes some people are more lovable than others. That definitely happens in the church. Um, but to really think about what does it mean for me to love my brothers and sisters fervently? Mm-hmm. And you know why we do because of what Christ has done for us because we are all His children. Yeah, you know Christ and, died on the cross for me, but also that person over there. You know, yeah. And and one day, um, after Christ returns, when we receive um, glorified bodies that are no longer affected by sin and death, um, you know, we will be healed of all the things that ail us here whatever those things are. Um, and I, it's interesting. I got into a discussion again on Twitter with some, someone about, you know, does, does Jesus still have scars right from, from the uh, crucifixion? He has, of course, his resurrected body now. And, you know, the argument was, you know, well, you know, but would God leave his son marred, right? That he's, still has scars and, I, and I, you know i don't know i know there are different opinions on it and, and i'm not argue, arguing dogmatically one way or the other about it but i think you know as, as i was thinking about it i was thinking again that it shows a lot of our misunderstanding about what physical beauty is and about what what matters because you know maybe maybe jesus is completely um, healed of all scars from his time on earth. Maybe so. I don't know. But if he's not, if he still has the scars from the wounds, from the crucifixion, and from what he bore for us, those scars would be absolutely glorious because when the when you look at them, all you would see is his love for us. They would be marks of beauty, not marks of shame. Does that make sense? Amen. Yes, absolutely. Amen. That. What you just said right now is something I was even thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, reading through this article. Uh, so I have a son with cerebral palsy mm. and I myself have um, a lot of health issues and, um, and, and whatnot. So I was really thinking about those things when I was reading through the article, but I, the thing that I 
that really took issue with the article was even saying, um, my disability is ugliness, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, or my son's cerebral palsy is ugliness because of the way that they talked about disability. Anyways, I just, it was a weird connection, I thought. Well, I think you're right. And you hit on something that I think really did rightly offend many who read it. Um, that, you know, for themselves or for others who have um, various uh, disabilities and disfigurements from illness or from injury or birth defect or you know, congenital issues, whatever, right? That seeing that and going, well, yeah, okay, you know, that makes you ugly. So, you know, how are we going to deal with that? It, it's again, it's it's starting at the wrong place. It's making a lot of assumptions and it's it's offensive to these people and to those of us, all of us who are made by God and made in his image. And the things that, the scars that we bear that tell the story of our lives are not ugliness. They are, they're just the story of our lives. You know, I, um, when I was 18 months old, um, my mom had just made my dad some hot tea and it had been boiling water. And I came and jumped on his lap and the tea spilled all over my back and my arm. And I got really, really bad burns. And I still, it's the scar that I have is on my back. You know, it's not really in a place where most people are going to see it. And since I was, I was very young, you heal, you know, exceptionally well, even though it was pretty severe burns. Um, but I don't think of that scar as ugliness. I, I actually think of it in terms of being able to say, Lord, thank you for healing me from a really difficult situation. And it's a reminder of God's faithfulness. So there's, I think in some ways, some, there can be some beauty and reminder of God's faithfulness in our scars. Or maybe you had surgery because of cancer and you see those scars um, every day. I have scar, I have like five incisions on my stomach from a couple of surgeries. And I don't think, wow, how ugly, but wow, thank you, Lord, for modern medicine and that I could have those surgeries and I could recover from them. I don't know. I'm just thinking about this. I don't know that this is theologically correct, but I, but I, think sometimes scars, whatever sorts of scars we have, can be a reminder of God's faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Well, as you know, we're talking about self-image, right, and how we struggle. And I think for many of us, especially as women, um, as you're going to through middle age and older, as you've if you've had children and been through that, or even just without but having children and just the changes that our bodies go through. And we're very hard on ourselves about the changes. Like we're supposed to be able to, our bodies are supposed to stay as, uh, you know, physically ideal as they were at a particular stage of our lives. Um, if we had that stage in our lives uh, and, you know, we beat ourselves up because our bodies changed and they don't look like they did, and, but our bodies, for many of us, our bodies are the way they are because of all we've been through. Right. And so, you know, the stretch marks that we have from from pregnancy or uh, I have C-section scars from um, two of my deliveries or, you know, just various things. And they, what we have are not, like you said, they're not marks of, of shame. They're not marks of, 
you know, that God doesn't love us, but there are, they, they tell the story of our lives. These are things that we've been through, things that we've experienced. Um, yeah, so there's a, changes a beauty are, in the stretch marks that we got mm-hmm. when we were pregnant because we can look at our child. Mm-hmm. Or the wrinkles that we have. Like these wrinkles show that, you know, I've, I've lived and I've smiled and, mm-hmm. you know, I have, I have experiences in my life the gray hairs that I have that I swear that my youngest has given me. Um, oh yeah. I yeah. name my gray hairs. We do it jokingly, obviously, you know, but all of those things are marks of, of who we are. And we don't need to, to be hard on ourselves for the things that have happened to our bodies. We should be, you know, thankful that we have bodies we have bodies that allow us to do the things that we were able to do and for whatever those things are and the challenges that we have the limitations that we have or that others have are opportunities for us to serve each other and so we should look for the beauty in others and look for the beauty in ourselves um, and see each other and ourselves the way that god sees us my grandpa, when he was like 90 years old, he told me, he said, my mind feels like 25. It feels mm-hmm. just like I felt at 25, but I look in the mirror and I see an old man and my, I can feel my body, you know, slowing down. I just thought it was, was interesting in thinking about that in the discussion. And, I, and my grandma looked at him and this old man now and, and saw beauty. Um, she fell in love with that, you know, 20 year old man. And he was still the same, the same man. Yes. I think we have to, I think because of our society, because of our world, um, I think maybe the way we think about beauty is, is the problem. So saying, what is it that makes somebody beautiful? Is it um, blonde hair and a small nose and, high cheekbones, you know, in, instead of whatever. in those terms, um, thinking in the terms that the Lord does. What do you do if you're struggling with self-image? And you know what? I, I think most everybody does in some sort of way. It's easy to look at someone over there. Oh, they're so beautiful. They must not struggle. But I, as Rachel said before, we look at ourselves and we see we and any person looks at themselves and sees their flaws. I, I wanted to mention really quick, even though it's not necessarily especially common, but I know that that body dysmorphia does exist. If this is something that is a huge, huge problem, and I want to just tell you what it is, um, because this is something that you should seek help. So, mm-hmm. with uh body dysmorphia, you can have kind of an obsession and a focus on a perceived flaw in your appearance. And it could be something that's, that, you know, you, you think is a flaw, it could be something very small, but you see it as uh, much bigger than it actually is. But something like that, you really need to, um, you know, seeking help, you should not feel bad to seek help. And maybe you don't know, maybe you think I've I just obsess about this all the time. Um, you know, talking to somebody can be helpful. It really can. So I wanted to mention that just because 
that that's a another level of you know something if it's if it's eating up a lot of your time and and obsessing about it and you shouldn't be ashamed this is something that some people struggle with and and professional help can really make a difference you know i wanted to add to that about um about self-image and the struggles with self-image that we tend to compare ourselves and we compare our worst features are the ones that we think the least of ourselves to the best features on somebody else, right? That we, we compare on the things and, and that we notice about ourselves. And I, I remember thinking one day or realizing one day that just because this, this other person doesn't necessarily struggle with the thing exactly that I struggle with, there is something that they struggle with that they don't like about themselves. There, for all of us, this is true, that we have different things that we, oh, I just can't stand this XYZ feature about myself, or, you know, I wish I didn't have this, I wish it was like that. But that's true for all of us, uh, whatever, whoever the person is, they, everybody, um, unless they are the most um, self-absorbed narcissist who thinks they're the just absolute yes. best thing in the world, all of us are struggling with something. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's a really good point you made. So if I think my nose is big and look at that person over there with the perfect nose, she may not struggle with um, not liking her nose, but she struggles with something else. Right. Everybody does. I, I would, I'll put all the verses that we put in the episode mm-hmm. notes. Cause I think going through those would be a good reminder. If you're, if you're struggling with us for sure. Talking to a friend. You know, I, I find it can be really helpful to talk to someone. You may find your friend struggles too, and you could offer each other encouragement. Uh, really quick, we're just briefly, briefly going to talk about one other article for, and just super, super briefly, just because I think it brings up the same. I think our response would be much the same. Um, Desiring God a while ago had another article. This one was not by John Piper. You know, they have different contributors. and. This is, what if God wants me to marry someone ugly? And again, I I don't know who's thinking it's wise to talk about these topics. But one thing I was talking to Rachel about, there was um, some circles I was in for a few years when I was younger, where where there was almost this idea that God's going to ask you to be a missionary in the last place you want to go. God's going to call you to marry someone that you're not attracted to. It's going to be like your cross to bear. And that's just not n- not a thing. Um, no, you are attracted to your spouse, you know. Yeah. In in very specific ways. I mean that this is how you start dating. You have some attraction to each other, and I think as you grow together, you become even more attracted uh, to each other. So, just wanted to bring up that article briefly. Um, We got a lot of single girls who are thinking, well, maybe I'm just going to have to give in and marry this person that I'm not attracted to whatsoever. That's probably foolish to, to do that. And to think it's some sort of extra suffering that God is sending you into. He wants you to marry someone that you're not attracted to. I can't imagine how, terrible it is or it would be to know that your spouse thinks of you as the punishment that God has given them 
I mean, or the struggle that God has given them because they don't find you attractive. And that's, that's, that's horrible. Um, But yes, people come in all shapes and sizes. Everyone's tastes are different. Preferences are different. People fall in love with each other for, for various reasons, Um, personalities, looks, the combination, the way someone laughs or treats you, all of these things are factors. And when you find that person who who you are attracted to in those ways and they are attracted to you and and you get to know each other, it, it's never going to be a question of, oh, God's making me marry an ugly person. It's just not that that's not not a thing. And well, should not an be attraction is a whole package. It's not just, oh, yeah. I mean, you, you could find some very good looking guy that is not beautiful on the inside and you're not, your marriage is not going to survive on, at least he's good looking on the outside. You know, it, there's so many things like you sometimes hear what attracted you to your husband. I don't think for the first time, oh, I thought he was really cute. I actually think he was so kind and and gentle and um, respectful. That's that's what I think of first, even though, of course, I'm attracted to him physically too. But attraction is kind of that whole package of who somebody is. If you marry someone, it's because you're attracted to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of my friends uh, was saying something about, about that, about, you, you know, and it's one of those things like I – her husband is not at all to my taste. My husband's not at all to her taste, but we both love our husbands very much, right? It's just our own interests are different, right? And it doesn't matter that no one else, it wouldn't matter if no one else has been attractive. I find him attractive, right? So it's, it's, that's all that matters. I love him, right? It's all that matters, right? So, um, all of this to say, um, we live in a culture that is way, way, way too um, obsessed with image. And, uh, you know, that's not different. Our culture is not different from others. It was the same when Paul was writing to Rome. Um, cultures have over time been extremely uh, obsessed with image and appearance. And the things that matter in this life the things that last are the love that we have for others, the love that God has for us and the worth that we have because we are made in his image. And if we can remember to focus on those things, we will think of others better and we will be less hard on ourselves. And I, I think that it's what we value with so many cultures valuing physical Mm -hmm. Uh, beauty above all things, but thinking about what's valuable, what's valuable to God. And like Rachel said, it um, will affect the way we even view others. So, well, I will, I'll put both of those articles in the episode notes so you can read them yourself if you want to. And um, all the passages of scripture that, that we discussed today. So we'll see you next week. 